Well, good morning, church. If you will, grab your seat and grab your Bible. Oh my goodness, it's so good to see you. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here. Happy Father's Day. Man, it's so good to see so many good-looking manly men here this morning. We're so glad to get to celebrate you. Wherever you're joining us from, here in the room or online or somewhere else, we're just so glad to be able to celebrate such a special day. God has put a call on your life. You are not here by accident. The world does not need passive, weak men. The world needs strong, vibrant men who submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we love you. We affirm you. We thank God for you. And so here's what I want you to do. If you're standing near uh, another brother here, put your arm around one of the guys standing. If you're sitting next to one of these guys, put a hand on their back or something, hold their hand. But we're going to pray blessing over them this morning. Would you bow with me? Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus Christ for these men. The world may say that the problem is men and that there's just too much masculinity in a world where men don't even know what they are anymore. We affirm that you've designed men to be men, women to be women, and that you have given these men in this church a divine calling to not simply grow facial hair, but to grow families, to lead generations, to show what it means to step from darkness into light. And it is a hard world in which to lead. But we ask now through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the ultimate man's man, Jesus Christ, lead these men well. Affirm on them their calling to represent you to their wives and their children. We pray that they would step into the blank spaces, the dark spaces, the empty spots where other dads are not present. May they step into that divine role and be your representative to the next generation and the generations to come. And I pray that in this church, we would always Lift up, celebrate, and affirm the men around us. We thank you for them. May God, you bless them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. You may be seated, man. Well, I'm glad you guys are here this morning as we're going through a series called Summer in the Psalms. And we're just taking this nine weeks together to go through these beautiful words that have been the songbook of the early church And actually the words that our Savior Jesus knew by heart, he lived the Psalms, he quoted the Psalms. If you want to know Jesus, know the Psalms. And so each week we're taking one Psalm and every day of the week through the next two months, we're actually reading through them and invite you to join us. Today was Psalm 39 in my daily reading. But in our corporate reading, we're going to look at the most familiar Psalm ever. We've already heard it spoken by a small child and now let's see it. In the pages of scripture, Psalm 23 says this, the Lord is my, what's that word, church? Shepherd. I lack nothing, he says. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths. So, so important here. He does all this for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you. 
for giving us these beautiful words, the song that has resonated with billions of followers for millennia. So today we ask that it would speak to us and that as a result, we'd be changed. Give us your word. Speak through me, Father. May your words come clearly and not be hampered by your servant. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, being Father's Day, I just want to do a real quick shout out to one more person that was kind of important in my life, my dad. This is my dad, Steve Diggs. He's my hero. And how could he not be with a shirt like that? Um, My dad is my buddy. We do stuff together. He is hands down the best man I know. But one of the funny things about watching your parents get a little bit older is things begin to change. And one of the things that's been interesting is his hearing is not what it once was. By the way, just, just curious, anyone else in here finding that you don't hear things quite as well as you used to? Anyone? A few honest people here. And, and, then, and then, but here's what I've learned. It's not just that his ears don't work as well. Now, again, I don't fault him. For years, he was in the PR world. He had an ad agency, and so there's a lot of loud uh, stuff around him a lot. And then he played drums in high school and college, and so just a lot of that kind of wrecked the hearing. But I've also found that sometimes it's not that he can't hear, it's that he has selective hearing. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? Selective hearing. Uh, any young parents have selective hearing with their children. Men, don't, don't raise your hand. Don't, don't even let your wife know, but you can just look at me real closely. Have you ever had selective hearing when the baby cries at night? Just, just, okay, I'm with you. Selective hearing, right? It's this moment where you could hear something, but you choose not to. And so there are moments like when my dad is like, hey, dad, do you want to go do this? Do you want to help me with that? And it's like, he doesn't hear it. But then if I call him up and I say, Dad, do you want to hang out with your grandkids? Like he is on my front door from Nashville to Chattanooga before I hang up the phone. Selective hearing. I wonder if for some of us, when we read this text in Psalm 23, if we don't struggle with some selective hearing. We read these beautiful words that the Lord is my shepherd. And we go, oh, I love that. That's wonderful. Some of you are like, I want to knit that on a pillow. Others are like, I've got a cup with that on it. It sounds beautiful. And so we embrace that statement, but then we want to have selective hearing on the second part. See, the reality is, if God is my shepherd, then I am a, what's that word, church? Oh, I hate that word. A sheep. It's like, that's not a compliment. To say, I'm a sheep, does not convey strength. I mean, come on. When was the last time you had a friend roll up to you and say, bro, I just want to tell you, I'm so proud of you. I have never seen you looking so sheep-like. I mean, you're not like, oh, give me a hug, bring it in. You're like, those are fighting words. Because come on, sheep, not an impressive animal. If I'm an animal, I want to be like a lion, I want to be a bear. I want to be a wolf. I want to be something majestic, maybe an eagle. But a sheep, sheep are not impressive animals. They can't do much. They're stupid. (laughs) That's one. Can we just be honest? There are a lot of smart animals. Dolphins, very small. Uh, Elephants, never forget. Monkeys can use tools. Sheep, have you been to the circus lately? Have you ever seen a trained sheep at the circus? Now, they don't do that. They'll have trained um, lions. You'll have someone who's working with the trained bears, maybe trained tigers, trained elephants. They'll even have trained cats, but I have never seen trained 
sheep. In fact, the only time I've seen sheep involved anywhere is when they have a sheep dog herding the sheep elsewhere. And they're not showing the sheep because they're so smart. Rather, they're there to show how smart the sheep dog is. Like they're so dumb, they're just used to show other animals how smart they are. In other words, if God is my shepherd, I'm a sheep. I don't really like that because sheep are dumb. Some of you are still not buying how dumb sheep are. So let's let's just do this, okay? They say a picture is worth a thousand words. So I just want to show you a video of sheep. Can we do that? Take a look right now at the screen. They're dumb. Now, I know some of us hear this and we see that and we go, okay, fine, fine, fine. But it's Father's Day and I'm a man. I'm not a sheep. I'm a lion. I'm a horse, a stallion. I'm, I'm something majestic. I'm not dumb. I'm not a sheep. So let's uh, roll film one more time. Let's turn that volume up, guys. There you go. Exhibit A. <laughs> now, I know we look at this, we laugh, we go, okay, fine. Now, uh, just, just come on, let's be honest. Fellas, how many of you are going, that would make a great party game right there? <laughs> come on, see? If God is my shepherd, then I and you and everyone you know is a sheep. The only question is, do you have a shepherd? And and maybe for some of us, it's easy to say, well, he's my shepherd. He's my savior. But it's it's the Lord is my shepherd. And we say, oh, I like shepherd. But maybe the better question for some of us is if you have a shepherd, is that shepherd your Lord? Like, is he your boss? Not just the nice guy who leads you around, but is he your boss? And I love what David says in this moment of clarity. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Shepherd. See, this is what David figured out. Remember, he was a shepherd. He spent his youth tending sheep. See, in the ancient world, in the Old Testament, and even in parts of the world today, the youngest child is responsible for tending the family's flock. And so David, as the youngest of eight kids, was out responsible in the fields day and night to tend his daddy's flock. He watched over them. He fed them. He made sure they had enough to drink. He protected them. And somewhere as he is watching and caring and holding close these sheep, it clicks with him. Wait, I'm dependent on someone as the sheep are dependent on me. 
And he begins to put two and two together. He realizes that sheep graze down to the ground. You understand this. When sheep graze, they don't just eat a little bit off the top. They just keep going. In fact, this was the cause of the cattle wars of the Old West between the shepherds and the ranchers. The shepherds would not move their sheep around quickly enough. The sheep would eat all the way down to the dirt, kill the grass. And so the ranchers did not have fields for uh, for their cows and for all their herds. Because what you need to do is sheep, they're not smart enough to know to stop eating. You have to lead them to different pastures. So this pasture can regrow and so the sheep don't eat dirt. And at some point, David goes, oh, I need someone to lead me to food because I'm not smart enough to know where to find things that will sustain my soul. And then David realized that he had to carry the sheep to different places of water that were safe for the sheep because the sheep, in their thirst, would get too close to rapids or fast-moving water, and they'd get wet. Quick question, what happens to wool when it gets wet? Have you ever tried to go swimming in a wool coat? It doesn't go so well. And so he would lead them beside streams of water, soft, slow-moving water, so they would not get sucked in and drown. And he goes, oh, wow, God is a shepherd who provides for my every need. He knows the right places to go. And the things that I think will satisfy the thirst of my soul will bring me death, but he takes me to a place that brings me life. And it's in the moment where he realizes this that he begins to put together this beautiful psalm. And I want you to see three incredible truths from Psalm 23 about who God is and who you and I are as a result. Here's the first truth. God is good. Would you say that with me? God is good. One more time. God is good good. Isn't that a refreshing statement in a world that questions, A, the existence of God, and then says if there is a God, he must be wicked or evil because of all the injustice in the world. And yet that's not what we see in scripture at all. How does the story begin? There is nothing except for a good God. And this good God says, I want to make something. Quick question. Did God have to make creation, church? No. It was completely out of his gracious Loving desire that he created all that there is. And so he comes into the scene. It begins and it ends with God. He starts things. He creates life. And then what do we contribute to God's goodness? The mess. We bring about all the problems. Everything you see wrong in the world ultimately comes down to our rebellion against a good God. And so what does God do in response? He initiates a rescue plan. He finds us, the lost sheep. He enters into creation as a man, Jesus Christ, and he finds us. See, I always get tickled when people say, I found Jesus. Now, I get it. They're saying, I was saved. I was baptized. I gave my life to Christ. I get what they're saying. But friends, you and I did not find Jesus. Jesus wasn't lost. We were Jesus found us. See, the good news of the gospel is that God, through Jesus Christ, found you and me. See, it all is about the goodness of God. Did you hear the verbs in this psalm? Notice what it says. The Lord makes me lie down. By the way, if you don't lie down, your body will make you lie down. God has woven it into creation that we cannot run 24-7 because we are not God. We need to be reminded that we are human. And sometimes he makes us lie down, doesn't he? The Lord makes me lie down, but he also leads me 
refreshes, guides, comforts, prepares, anoints. It is God doing all of it. He is a good God. The reason the world's broken is not because of God, it's because of us. Every good gift, enjoyment, happy moment you've ever had is because God is good. And it doesn't end there. Do you notice the next line? My cup, it says, overflows. I'm not filling it. Rather, God is doing the filling. I'm just keeping my cup under the flow of his goodness. And then he says, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. It's like his goodness and love are sheepdogs that are herding me towards the path of good life, taking us to the destination. Because if they don't, I'll end up off the path. But because God's goodness and love is leading me, we end up in a place, in a home that you and I did not create. It's not ours to make, but it says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. It's God's house, not mine. And yet he gives us access and a room. Number one, God is good. Number two, humanity is depraved. Let, let maybe put it simpler. God is good. We are not. David is so overwhelmed by the reality of God's goodness and his imperfection that he's like, oh, but we kind of stink. In fact, I don't have it on the screen for you. But if you'll read the first three verses, it's the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. It's about me. And a lot of us kind of go, oh, it's all about me. And yet in the very last part of verse three, it says it is for his name's sake. And yet in my depravity, I even think God's goodness is all about me instead of it being about him. How many of us can't figure out the right way to go in traffic so we need assistance with GPS Yet, why do we think that we'll know the right way to go in life without someone who's bigger than us? We don't know up from down, left from right, right from wrong. And so he comes to us because even the best things that we create mess everything up. Let me give you an example. Some of you are old enough to remember about the coming crisis everyone warned us about years and years ago. They warned about it in books and on TV. They talked about this crisis that because of all the computer technology and the things that robots could do, one day we would get to this terrible moment where we had nothing to do but just endless leisure. Do you remember hearing about that? Quick question. How's that working for us? Anyone here going, man, I am just afflicted with too much leisure. Not at all. Instead, what has happened? We thought we would create the robots and the robots would serve us. Instead, now they are our masters. You go, I don't believe you. Um, Grab your phones, please, for just a moment. How many of you, when this thing goes off, man, you're like Pavlov's dog. You don't salivate, but your fingers go to the screen real fast. In fact, and some of you go, I don't do that. It's like, friends, I get to watch you as your phone goes off in church and you answer it. It's like, who other than for God is more important right now? And yet we're controlled by it, aren't we? The internet, I would say, is the single greatest technological advance we've had in the recent history. I mean, it has opened up so many doors of opportunity. I mean, think about all the things we can do with it, communication, business, commerce, the way we could share the gospel with it. And yet, do you know the number one thing we do with the internet? Produce and consume pornography. So even the very best ideas we come up with, we find a way to twist and to break and then to celebrate our depravity by what we do. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is good, we are not. And then David ends with this really 
provocative idea that I want to share with you because I think for a lot of us men, we need to hear this this morning. And I think this is one of the most encouraging things from the text. Number three, real men. Real men know they need a shepherd. Real men know they need a shepherd. And, and friends, I know as soon as I say that, some of you are like, I don't need no shepherd because I'm still not convinced I'm a sheep. Some of you are like, it's Father's Day. I'm a man's man. I rolled in here in a big old truck. I wear flannel. I've been able to produce facial hair since the third grade. I'm a man. Okay, let's just talk men's men for a moment here, okay? Who is it who wrote the 23rd Psalm, church? Anyone know? David. Let's talk about this guy. What do we know about David? Well, number one, he became king of a nation. Anyone else in here have that on their resume? Some of you are like, but I was captain of my baseball team. Not the same thing. He was king of a nation. When he was a little boy, when he was herding his daddy's flock, he killed bears and lions, he tells us in 1 Samuel 17, with his bare hands. Don't believe me? Read him recounting it. He says, I ran, tracked it down, grabbed it by the hair, and killed it. That's a scary little toddler, right? Maybe a little older. Then when he's a teenager, he takes on the champion of the Philistine army, a man named Goliath, who was over nine feet tall. Now, friend, don't just think about a big guy. Goliath was the Navy SEAL of the Philistines. And what does David do? He gets some rocks and he drops the fool where he stood. Let's keep going. David has to go on the run from King Saul because Saul has a fragile ego. And so David is on the run for his life, hiding in the wilderness, not like a nice European landscape with trees and bushes and lots of green grass. No, look up the Judean wilderness sometime. It is not a pleasant place. He was a survivalist and he was such a man's man that other men flocked to him. Women wanted to be with him. This is the guy who wrote the 23rd Psalm and yet there's a moment where he goes... I need a shepherd. See, he's not trying to insult us. He's saying this isn't an insult. It's reality. Men, true men, find their true masculinity when they say, I need someone to show me what it means to live life well and to follow someone who has been where I'm trying to go. Is it possible the problem in our world is that we have too many men who don't know how to be men? That too many men are trying to go it alone. Friend, how do you and I learn to love our wives and lead our kids unless we have an example of what that looks like? And I'm not talking about an earthly example because they fail in moments. And if we pattern our lives after that failure, we will then fail as well. So he says, look to the one who's a perfect father. The one who would do anything for us and yet is strong enough to get us where we need to go. This is why David relishes in the statement where he says, your rod and your staff comfort me. So every shepherd in the field would carry with him two different instruments, the rod and the staff. Now the rod was a short wooden stick, very stout, usually had a big knot at the end. Sometimes they would hammer nails into it so it was a bit more gnarly. This was a defensive weapon to protect the sheep against predators. So the, sheep, the shepherd is strong. He is powerful. He is not weak. He is not placated. 
he goes forward. Your rod, the staff, though, was a long stick used for a walking stick, but the shepherd would use it to direct his sheep, to lovingly guide him. He did not use the rod on the sheep. He used the staff on the sheep. So the shepherd provides and protects the sheep. He is the one who's showing them where to go and how to live. And David goes, on my own, because I am full of testosterone, I am a man's man. I can do great things, but I can also make a great mess of my life. I need someone to show me the way to live. See, you do not lose your masculinity by having a shepherd. It's when you know you need a shepherd, when you are humble enough to recognize that, that you gain true biblical masculinity. Where you say... God has wired me for war and for battle, but I need someone to point me in the direction of the right fight. Otherwise, I will war with myself and my family, but by God's grace, he will lead me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake, I can go forth. Real men know that they need a shepherd. See, real men, they run hard. They work hard. They love their families well. They play hard. They're the first up, the last to bed if they need to be. They're the ones who do what is right. And they listen to the good shepherd whose voice calls them in these right paths. Isn't it true that the world sends us mixed messages? Anyone else in here kind of confused by what the world says the ideal man is? Let's do it this way. Do you think the world's a little confused by what the ideal man is? We can't even agree on what makes a man or a woman. So, of course. So, we hear these mixed messages. This past week, I was watching some commercials, which, by the way, is just a dumb thing to do in today's age. You say, why is it dumb? It's like, because they'll say, do this, but don't do that, that and it's contradictory. So, here you go. Uh, so, you'll hear on the a commercial, they'll say, don't be a sheep. You don't want to be a sheep like everyone else, do you? Nope, don't want to do that. Great. If you don't want to be a sheep, men then buy our product and you will look like this manly man on the commercial. So don't be like everyone else, buy our product and be like everyone else. In other words, don't do what everyone else is doing, but since you're a sheep, you'll do what we're telling you to do right now. Do you see a contradiction in terms? We're confused and not sure where to go. We need someone to show us. The world does not need fewer men. The world needs more godly men. And David says, I've got a shepherd who shows me and I will now fight and live my life well because I know the direction I'm supposed to go. See, have you ever seen a hill of sheep before? You're driving along maybe in a different country and this happens sometimes. They'll, they'll herd the flock across the road and you'll see them and you're like, oh man, what is the first thing you think of? First thing I think of is coats and lamb chops. It's like there's something to keep warm and something to eat. That's what the world sees as well. What does Jesus see, though, when he sees us? There's this beautiful passage, John 10, where Jesus says of himself that he is the good shepherd. And in Luke 15, he then defines what that means. He tells a story of a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. And before the day's done, when he's counting, he finds that one of the sheep is missing And the good shepherd leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one. And then Jesus, looking at the crowd, says, which one of you would do that? And if I'm honest, I wouldn't do that. Long day, I go through the counting, 97, 98, 99. Where's Fluffy? 
All right, don't need fluffy. I got 99. That's a pretty good result. That's an A plus where I'm from. Good to go. But Jesus says, I know my sheep. My sheep know me. They are too precious for me to leave where they are. So he leaves the comfort of the pen and he goes and he searches for that lost sheep. He will go anywhere. He will fight anyone. He will do whatever it takes to bring the lost sheep Home. This is what a good shepherd does. See, when the world sees something to be consumed, the good shepherd sees someone to take care of and to raise up to their God-given potential and position. And so what does the shepherd do? He lifts you on his shoulders and he brings you and me home. David says, I need that. And then there's this one final image that we get in verse 5. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, it's a physiological fact that for most people, when they are under high stress, appetite just goes to zero. You don't want to eat anything when you're stressed out. You kind of go, ah, just, I'm not hungry, I'm worried. And yet, what does he say? That when the very presence of your enemies is so close that you can see the whites of their eyes... It is in that moment the good shepherd says, hey, come on, come sit down. Now, don't worry about them. I'll take care of them. You come sit here. Don't stress about them. You come to me. Let's sit. I'm going to feed you. I will provide. I will protect. See, I don't just need a shepherd for the moments of peace. I need a shepherd for the moments where the enemies are pressing in. And to be reminded that it is not up to me to get it all done. Listen well. Trust him fully. And so that's what we get to do in this moment. As we read this passage about a shepherd and his sheep, we get to be reminded that there was a shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. He took on the weight of your sin and mine. He died for you. He died for me. He said, someone must die for us to have a meal. For there to be lamb chops on the table, a lamb must die. And instead of demanding your life or mine, the good shepherd goes to the cross, lays down his life, and says, come to the table. All is ready. I will prepare it for you. And you don't have to worry about the enemy. See, a lot of us, I think, we think our enemy is our budget or the economy. Or it's one of the unknowns, maybe foreign oppression, or maybe it's something going on in politics or your own home, and you think, that's my enemy. And he's, no, 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 no. The real enemy, the ultimate enemy is Satan, sin, and death. And on the cross, Jesus defeated all of them. So now we come to the table in peace because he says, don't you worry about them. I have already defeated them. Come and eat. I will take care of it all. Follow me, and I'll lead you home. The Lord is my shepherd.